with our series on restoring passion for Jesus alone. We've done four messages on this, and they're available in the back. And, um, <clears throat> and sometime down the road, I'm not sure when, they'll be available in podcasts. The problem is, is that our son right now is down, Jason is down in um, the Florida Keys working there, and his wife's up in Philadelphia, and then he's going shortly after that to Philippines and China and whatever with the parts distributors there, he's going to be gone there. So I doubt seriously he's going to be doing podcasts when he's in China, that sort of thing. He might, you never know. But we'll get those as, as quick as we can. As always, the CDs are available and they're free back there. Just about a very quick review that we've, we've been doing from each week, from each of these messages. Kind of our theme passage is Matthew 6.33 that talks about seeking the kingdom of God first. You know, and we define the kingdom of God as the dynamic rule and reign of God. And then we looked at dealing with the enemies of, of passion in our lives, the black holes, what are things that keep us from being passionate about the Lord and, and, our, and our prayer and our Bible study and our devotion and, and our outreach and everything that's there. And we went through some of those. And then we looked, started the last two Sundays, we're looking at passion growers. That is, what are things that help us to grow in our passion for the Lord? And we looked at the foundation of prayer, and we did a study on that. Then last week, we did a study on the foundation of God's Word. So today, we're going to go on and look at another area that helps us to restore and to be fresh in the passion of the Lord today. And it's Roman numeral two, is understanding and receiving the heart of Jesus. Understanding and receiving the heart of Jesus. And what is the heart of Jesus? The heart of Jesus that we see is we see passion for lost people. Jesus was, you might just say, he, he was other-focused. You know, he, most of, well, I'll just say me. You know, in my life and, and in, in my world that I live in, a lot of times I'm kind of focused on me and what's going on there, what's going on our family, extended family, or the church, whatever else. But too, too many times, and this is the reason we're not passionate, as passionate about the presence of the Lord, is we're so wrapped up in other things that we're passionate about. You know, the things that necessarily aren't bad, but, are, but they're good, but maybe it's not the best. But we just get wrapped up in life and everything that's involved in that. But Jesus, the heart of Jesus, and that's really what will help us more than anything else of having passion for Jesus' presence, is, um, is the lost people. You know, there's a chorus that I don't think we've sung it for a good while, a song we used to sing in the vineyard. I'll have to look and see if we can find it. But, it, but the key phrase from that song was, help me to love the things you love. You know, and that is such a great, it's not only a good, good psalm or song, it's a good prayer. You know, it's a good thing to pray, God, help me to love, you know, and to be passionate about what you're passionate about. You know, that, that that's our passion and all, that, that we're just wrapped up in that. I know we're, we're, we're coming into playoff season and footballs and, and a lot of debate and who should and who shouldn't and all those things and all. And, you know, and that can be fun, but it, it should never surpass or go past our passion for the Lord Jesus and for his kingdom and his purpose and all that he has in us. And that all is centered and starts in being other focused, passion for, for lost people. So Roman numeral two and then number A. And to do that and to understand that, you know, is that we need to see his heart. We need to see and experience and understand the heart of the Lord in relation to us. And so, and I'm probably gonna go pretty fast through this today just because I'm not sure how long my throat will last on this. But I'll let you look up some of these passages. But in Luke chapter 5, verse 27 through 32, 
we, and you remember this story, we have the calling of a tax collector, of where Jesus comes and he's with a tax collector and all the Pharisees are just overjoyed that he's spending time with a tax collector, right? Not exactly. You know, they're always critical and, and, and angry and everything else because they didn't see, they didn't understand, they didn't have the heart of Jesus, they didn't have a passion for lost people. They had a, a passion for religion. And, and religion can be, I mean, it can be good, but, it, but many times if we substitute it for relationship, it will just hold us back. And so when we look at, at, the, at the, those that were involved in this and Jesus is dealing with, and in Luke 5, 27 through 32, he, he encounters this tax collector and he says, we're gonna, let's eat together, let's spend some time together. And others were angry about that. They just, they couldn't imagine that. And so Jesus, if you remember, he goes to a banquet you know, with this lost person, this lost person brings him to all of his friends. You know what one of the best ways of evangelism is? Is to befriend or, or bring to the Lord one or two people that have really been lost, really been apart from religious and church culture, and then go with them to their friends. That's where the open market is. That's where people, because first of all, they'll be incredibly <laughs> impressed, if not dumbfounded, that you would actually come spend, spend time around them. Because one of the thoughts and ideas that, that is prevalent throughout our nation is that Christians are people who hate and, and who are bigots and are this and that and everything else. And sadly, in some of that, there probably is truth in that. But we should be known, as Jesus says, we should be known by how we loved, you know, how we love people, how we care for people. And part of loving people is bringing them to Jesus and bringing them to righteousness and holiness. And hopefully we're trying to bring that in our hearts and lives and families as well. But in that, so Jesus goes, and, and I remember the movie, it's been a good while since it's been out. It's one of my favorite movies of The Passion. But there's a scene in the movie, Jesus of Nazareth. And it's, it's a scene that, that ties straight into this passage, Luke 5, 27 through 32. And in the passage, you know, Jesus had no problem talking to tax collectors or to sinners, or to prostitutes, or, or anything. He, he was very comfortable in those places. And the, you know, and certainly the, those that were not his disciples, they were always angry and upset and trying to, to attack him and everything else. But he, even his own followers sometimes were just, it, it's just, they didn't know what to think. And I love in that movie, because in this movie, you know, Jesus says, I'll, I'll have dinner with you. And so the tax collector gets all of his friends, I guess the entire tax collective that was available in that area. You know, he, he brought all of his friends, and these are all unchurched friends. These are all despised friends because the culture despised him because part of, part of what they did was not just collecting taxes. They actually stole from the people and collected more than they should. And I, that would never happen in our nation. Well, I, God forgive me there. I shouldn't have said that. But anyway, what, what I remember in this movie is, is that Jesus goes inside this tent and inside the tent, you know, it's a very worldly tent, and you've got women dancing, and not that that's un unholy or anything, but in this, in this culture. And so he's in there, and it's interesting because the Pharisees, and, and they all went in too, and uh, I always thought that was kind of interesting. But they're in there, and the disciples are outside. But they've got this little bug, and it's called curiosity. And it says, I've always wondered what goes on behind those curtains. And so in the movie, what they're doing is they're coming out and they're kind of looking around and they're peeking in that room full of lost people. You see, Jesus wants us to do more than just peek. 
Jesus wants us to have relationships. That's the heart of Jesus. The heart of Jesus is even if it offended people, even if it, it brought confusion, even if people became angry with him, and we know the religious leaders did, the Pharisees did, but he came, and in that scene, it just demonstrated that. Second time, uh, verse that I have for you is Luke chapter 7, verse 36 through 50, and this was later in his ministry where Jesus is anointed by a sinful woman. And again, the Pharisees, the religious leaders were so focused on the legalism of the law, and it wasn't that Jesus was against holiness or he was against righteousness or he was against purity, none of those things. Jesus came to save the lost. He came to bring purity. He came to bring righteousness. But it's through relationship. It's not through legislature that that takes place. It's by the changing of the heart there. And so when Jesus comes in Luke 7, verse 36 through 50, the anointing by the sinful woman, um, let's, let me go ahead. Let's look at that one there. I do want to look at that. Luke chapter 7. And verse 36. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in the town who lived a sinful life, and that probably meant prostitution, that sort of thing. A woman in the town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume, and she stood behind him at his feet weeping, and she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair and and kissed them and poured the perfume on them. When the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is. She is a sinner. Now, first of all, it doesn't take a prophetic gift to know when you're dealing with a prostitute. All right? And that's basically what it was, you know, some of the sin that she was in. But what we see here is that, that the religious leaders are just indignant. You know, it's like, gosh... You don't have any prophetic gifting. You can't see, you don't even understand that you're entertaining a woman of the street, a woman of sinful life. And then to let her weep over you and the tears come down and, and wipe your hair and, and pouring perfume and all of that. And, but they didn't understand. Because when this woman is doing this, what did Jesus say? Jesus says, she's doing this for my burial. This is the anointing. So Jesus let someone that wasn't of the strictly of the faith, someone that was a rejected prostitute and sinner, to come and, as it were, anoint him for the cross because of the heart that he had for lost people. And that's the kind of heart that the Lord wants us to have. You see, the difference is is that Jesus was comfortable with lost people, and he didn't care what religious people thought. And one of our difficulties that we find, for various reasons, is that we're sometimes not comfortable with lost people. You know, we're, we, it may be a safety issue that there, was, there are certain areas and that we're concerned about. I remember kind of a funny incident. We really weren't that afraid. But when we were on tour for Roberts University and we had a, a singing drama group that toured and we had done a service in a, in a large church that day and they said, oh, we have another service that we got lined up for you tonight. I said, okay, great. And so we packed up everything, went there and we said, now where is this? Is Well, it's at a local prison. We said, okay. So we got there, and we had to sit up behind a curtain with no sound check or anything, and the other side of the curtain was all the prison. And then we were on this side. And, um, and we had in our group, there were several guys and um, three or, two or three gals that were singing. And so we're there behind the curtain. We can kind of hear the raucous, the, the noise and all behind it. So they opened the curtain. 
And as soon as they open the curtain, one of the guys goes, check out that blonde <laughs> or something real loud. And I was like, look at, look at that brunette. You know? <laughs> and I look at my gals real quick and they're turning red and they're, you know, and everything. And then you're looking out and, and the, the stage was right up there and it's something and you was like, is this safe? You know, that sort of thing. So I did the only thing we could do. I quickly said, start the music. <laughs> so we started and we started playing. We went through our first songs. And I tell you, we had, we had sung all over the South in all kind of churches, you know, and we had never had a reception like this. And we sang, went through the entire set and they were yelling and they were screaming and they were clapping their hands. They were happy. And I don't think it was just the girls. I think it was the presence of God. And when we finished the entire set, all the songs that we had ready and everything, they're yelling, more, more, encore, encore, encore. And we was like, all we can do is the same set. And everybody cheering, yeah, yeah. So we did the same set again. But, you know, that was really one of the highlights of our tour. Because when we got over our little fear of, of you know, because there were a lot of them and there were a few of us. But when we got over that, I was like, this is what it's supposed to be about. This is what Jesus did when he went to the home of the Pharisees, you know, when he went to, to, the, um, to, to the anointing by the sinful woman and that sort of thing. Jesus always did that. In Luke 15, verses 1 through 7. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathered around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisee and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the ninety-nine and go after the lost sheep till he finds it? When he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulder and goes home. And he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, for I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents and over 99 persons, righteous persons who do not need to repent. And it goes on to the story of the parable of the lost coin and son and so forth. But what Jesus was saying was, you know, that, that the, what, to keep our eye and our focus on is reaching the unchurched, reaching the lost people, and having a heart for that. And that was Jesus' passion. That was his heart. Again, as we said from the very top there, a heart for lost people. And we see that Jesus even came in, in Luke 15, 1 through 7, as you go through there, he came eating with sinners and members of the IRS. I mean, he, he was an equal opportunity guy. He went wherever he got an invitation, if it was to the prostitutes, if it was to the religious people, it was to, to those that were outcasts because of, of, of taking up, you know, collecting money, in some cases probably rubbing, robbing people from that. Jesus did that. He, just, he loved to do that and spend time with people. B, why did Jesus come? Everybody knows this, John 3, 16. What? For God so loved the world that what? Sent, sent his only begotten son. You know, sent Jesus. God loved the world and Jesus loved the Father and trusted the Father so much that he came as the word of God incarnate, as, as the presence of God. There's um, a song that I've got recorded, um, Married, Do You Know, that I've got on... Um, uh, at home on, on iTunes that I recorded that's um, an acapella type version of several guys and they sing Mary Do You Know in, in a cave and it's oh, I'm hoping we can work it out and do it on Christmas Day or something and play it here so you can all see it but one of the lines that they have there that just grabbed my heart was that one of the they're singing this, this line they said don't you know that when you kiss that when you kiss the baby's face 
you kiss the face of God. And that just hit me so hard. It's like, you know, you're, when you embrace the Lord Jesus, you're embracing the face of God, the presence of God. The, I just love that. And you, you're going to love this. So hopefully we get it, get it worked out and be able to do that here. I think we'll be able to. Okay, so Jesus came because of his great and eternal and passionate love for us. You know, I, I think that Jesus cares about trees, and I think he cares about his creation and everything else. But, you know, Jesus didn't come to die on the cross to save the planet. Okay? You know? He came to save people. He came to save hearts and to save lives and, and everything. As, as a matter of fact, it seems like there's scripture that seems to indicate that, what is this in Peter? That it's all going to burn up one day. You know? So that doesn't say, anyway, won't get there. But I won't go there. But Jesus came for people. He came for individuals. He came for the hungry, for the seeking, for those that were needy in that. In Mark 1, 35 through 39, we see that Jesus came to proclaim and demonstrate the good news of the kingdom of God. That he came, he'd find lost people, he'd gather them, and, and, and his heart was moved with compassion for them. And he, he, he prayed for them, and, 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 and in some cases, he equipped them for ministry and sent them out. And, and he was just constantly Loving to be with people. Loving to be with people. Even when he was tired, he was always loving to do that. He came to proclaim and demonstrate the kingdom of God through words and works and breaking into the kingdom of God. Now, C, and what I want to do here is just ask a question before we look at it. The question is, have you ever shed tears? I think most of us have, right? Unless your tear ducts are bad or something. I wrote, I wrote down some things. Have you ever shed tears over the loss of a loved one? Many of us, most of us probably have. Ever shed tears when you stubbed your toe? Totally different context. Maybe, maybe it was tears, maybe it was some choice words or whatever there. Have you ever shed tears when you were disciplined as a child? Yeah. Never knew which was better, to try to act like it wasn't hurting or, or to get angry. No, angry didn't work. You know, it's just like, take, take my... Take my punishment and go from there, okay? Um, when we didn't get our way, do you ever cry or shed tears for that? And I found this quote, and, and we'll just make it generic. Find out what makes a man or a woman or a child or, or whoever, what makes them weep, and you've discovered a great deal about that person. Some weep for themselves and for their own troubles, while others, uh, their own troubles, but Jesus wasn't like that. Jesus wept for others. Remember that? That Jesus would see the lost and what did he do? He didn't judge them. He wasn't angry. The only people he got angry with was the Pharisees and those that were literally, that, that had the word of God, but literally were, were forcing lost people away. Jesus was angry there, but he, but he loved people. He cared for people. It was all about reaching people. And we just have very quickly here, um, two or three, four passages that we wanted to look at that just kind of give us illustration of that. In John chapter 11, tears for a family. And you know this story. There was a man named Lazarus who was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary, and his sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. And that, we have that, that comes together there. So her sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. Now, that's kind of interesting because it was like all they you know, really needed to say was, hey, 
he's sick. But they said, the one you love. And why were they doing that? Subtle manipulation. And I could be totally wrong with that. But what they were just saying was, you know, this, this is the one. Because don't we want sometimes, you know, in our prayer time, have you ever find yourself doing this? Or am I the only pagan here? Have you ever found yourself trying to bargain with God a little bit? And it's like, and God, this person really deserves to be healed. Or this person really deserves to get this. So they, you know, it's, like, it's almost like, let's, let's strike a deal. You know, that sort of thing. And, you know, that's, and so, and it's, it's understandable. I mean, you know, they come now, Lazarus is sick, and, and, and Jesus is a frequent visitor of, of this family, and they, they're very tight and love each other and everything. And he sends word, and so Jesus, in verse 4, says he heard this. He said, well, the sickness is not going to end in death. Now, the, the way that's, that's written for us is very important because when he said that, they thought one thing, but they didn't understand what was going to happen. He said, no, it's for God's glory, so the Son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he ran there as fast as he could run. Is that what it says? When he heard Lazarus was sick, he stayed there, and he was there two more days. Wow. Do you think Jesus is ever late? No, that's not a trick question. No, it was just that he doesn't fit our time schedule, right? It's like, Lord, give me patience and give it to me right now. It's like, no, I don't want tribulation to, to earn patience, to, to walk in patience. Is that, kind of modify that. But we see Jesus here, he delays a couple of days. I mean, he hears about this one he could have gone and touched him with, just touched him or, or just spoken the word from there. And he said, and he goes on, and, and um, he said, a little further down, waited two days, and he said, now we're going to go to Judea. And then the disciples were like, but Rabbi, just a short time ago, the Jews wanted to stone you there, and you're going back. And he said, you know, aren't there 12 hours of daylight? If you walk in the daylight, you won't stumble. You'll see the world's light. So when a person walks at night, they stumble, for they have no light. He said, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going to go there to wake him. So his disciples, being very spiritually minded and very discerning and understanding everything he said, said, Lord, that's good. If he sleeps, he'll get better. And they didn't realize the kind of sleep Jesus was talking about. He was talking about, short of a resurrection, the long sleep. You know, as it's sometimes called, C.S. Lewis called it, the long sleep. You know, and, and, uh, but Jesus had been speaking of his death, and his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. But for your sake, I'm glad I was not there. Now, would that have been a puzzling statement? Jesus said, I'm glad he's dead. But for your sake, I'm glad that he wasn't there. So you may believe, but let's go to him. And Thomas, also known as Didymus, also known as the guy with the great faith, not really, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Now, that's a great statement of faith, right? Let's, <laughs> let's just all go die together. All right, little Sark, you understand sometimes when Jesus, you know, is almost like, he wants to pull his hair out, couldn't, I couldn't do that, but it's like, you guys, are you going to ever get, catch on what's going on? Are you ever going to understand? You know, it, as John Wimber used to say, sometimes the disciples came off like the three stooges, you know, they're more than three, but they just came out more like stooges than they did the holy apostles to be that they would come down the road. Okay, going on from there. Jesus travels, and it's four days that um, Lazarus has been in the tomb. And so he goes there, and he has discussions with Martha. He has discussions with Mary. 
And he tells them that the brother is going to rise. And they said, we know he'll rise in the last day. And Jesus gives her a profound statement. He says, I am the resurrection. I am the life. See, when they're speaking, when he's speaking to him and trying to sow faith into him, they're like, well, we know that he's going to be resurrected. We know in the last day he'll come up. And he says, but you have to understand, I am the resurrection incarnate. Jesus didn't just carry healing. He didn't just carry the miracles. He didn't just carry resurrection power. It was built. It was who he was. It was who the Father was. It's, it's what he has. It's, it's what God has potentially desired to give and release in us. Because the whole idea of it is that we give it away in that. So Jesus tells that. And Judas Iscariot said, um, I'm sorry, that's, we don't need to go there. But anyway, Jesus goes and um, he goes to minister to these guys. And it's, it's very interesting. He has a discussion with Mary. He has a discussion with Martha. And there's weeping. And there's the, the longest, the shortest verse in Scripture is what? Jesus wept. So everybody can memorize Scripture. Jesus wept. And when he said that, the other Jews that were there just really ceremonially watching said, wow, you know, this guy loved him. And, there, and he's deeply moved in his spirit. And, and it says that he wept. And they said how he loved him. And someone said, well, why couldn't he have just opened the eyes he opened the eyes of the blind man. Why couldn't he have kept this guy from dying? So Jesus is deeply moved by the Spirit. He tells Martha, he says, okay, open it up. She said, it's been four days, Master. It stinks by now. I mean, you know, it's amazing how the practical logic can get in the way of the supernatural. You know, it's just not a decent thing to do now. You know, why, why bring more agony? Why bring more pain in this? But... Jesus said, did, verse 40, did I not tell you if you believe, you will see the glory of God? And so Jesus looks up and he prays, and this is his prayer to the Father. Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I mean, even before he prayed it, he says, I thank you. You've already heard me. You've already heard the cry of my heart. You've already heard that. He says, I know that you always hear me, but I said it for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe you've sent me. When he said this, Jesus called in a loud voice. And I forget who it was, but I heard one teacher one time speaking on this. And he said, the reason that Jesus had to speak in a loud voice is because if he hadn't specifically spoken to who he was calling, there's no telling how many graves would have opened up. You know, and everybody would have come. But he was speaking to this one particular one. It says, he, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out and his hands and feet were wrapped with strips of linen and cloth were in his face. And Jesus, being very practical, says, take off the grave clothes, let him go. And what happened then was he, he became alive and he, met, and he immediately went upon the death list watch of the Pharisees. They not only wanted to kill Jesus, they wanted to kill him as well because of the testimony and everybody that was talking about it in there. So we see that, that Jesus wept over them. He had, had tears for a family. He wept over them. That was the story of Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. Let me just tell you one thing about that. You know, during that time of the year, or that, this custom of the day, was there were seven days of mourning. There was loud weeping and wailing and shrieking and hysterical emotions that were there. And, and Jesus felt all that, and, and, he, and he, when he was going through that, he was feeling their pain, he was feeling their suffering, he was feeling their agony. But he knew what was to come in that. There were seven days of, of mourning, loud weeping, that was the custom of the day. But Jesus was deeply moved, moved by the deepest of emotions, 
And verse 33, 35, I skipped it. There's the quiet weeping that we see that came from him. All right, number two, Luke 19, 41 through 44. This is when Jesus had tears for a city. Tears for a city. It's a passage that we've, we've quoted many times or looked at many times. just wanted to read that real quickly. Luke 19. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over the city. This was as he was coming in, um, you know, on, on, he was coming in on the, uh, the hill, the Mount of Olives, and, and everything that was going on at that time. And when he sees that, he says that, that he literally wept over the city. He said, if you only knew, even now, what would bring you peace, but it's hidden. And the days will come when your enemies will build an embankment against you and circle you and hem you in on every side and dash your you to the ground and your children and, and they'll not leave one stone another because you did not recognize the time and one of the older translations says the visitation of God's coming to you. You missed one translation that a paraphrase I had I really like was you miss God's hour of visitation. And that's been a passage that's always kind of haunted me that I'm always crying out, God, I do not want to miss your hour or your minute or your second a visitation, that if you've got something, you're doing something, teach me how to be aware, how to have eyes to see, ears to hear, a heart in tune with your purpose, that do not miss what you're doing. And so we see that that's the heart of Jesus, that he has that kind of heart, that he has a heart to reach those. And, he, and that was the tears for a city and that, that he was just weeping over the city. He wept over Jerusalem. You know, the context was a triumphal entry into Jerusalem at the time of celebration and Passover, but he was still... He, even though he was headed to the cross, he was still thinking of those that were lost and those that needed him. And he knew that part of the fortitude of the cross was, was that in going to the cross, he was going to provide a way that these could be touched, these could be saved, these could be healed, and deal with that in, in all the ways that he wanted. So he wept over Jerusalem. There are seasons and windows of opportunity and visitation in the advancement of the kingdom of God. Jesus had eyes to see, and so he knew when to move in the Father's will and time to advance the kingdom in that. Then number three, Jesus not only had tears for a family, tears for a city, but he had tears for a lost world. And we see this in his living, Matthew 9, 36, where it talked about that he had compassion, and we already read, compassion for lost sheep. He had compassion for those that were lost, for those that were troubled, for those that were hurting. I mean, Sometimes we get the idea that Jesus doesn't care or he's not aware of our hurting. Well, the truth is, is that he is aware. And, and, and it breaks his heart more when, when he tries to speak to us. He tries to woo us to his presence. He tries to empower us or use us or, or, or do things in our hearts and lives and our family. And we either are blind to him or indifferent to him or have a hardened heart. And it breaks his heart because he loves us. He cares for us. He has tears for the world and is dying and living and also in his dying. Remember what Jesus said on the cross? This, this just blows my mind. He says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. That's just, well, that'd be hard. It'd be, you know, do you, do you think his mother was, was thinking that? You know, don't, don't you think a lot of things Jesus said around his mother and family and the disciples, they were just scratching their heads? But it seems like after Pentecost that they started getting back on, the tra on track and understanding. So in his dying and then in his, in his reigning as well. 
Jesus said in Hebrews 7.25 that he ever lives to make intercession. So part of Jesus being raised up from the dead and him, him ascending to the Father is that he's living and he's alive and a lot of what he does is he prays for you and me. And that's encouraging. That's really encouraging. And when we pray in the Spirit, whether we're praying in the English language or whatever language, you know, Southern or whatever language we know in that, or if we're praying in the, in the language of the Holy Spirit and, 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 and in tongues or whatever else, and we're just praying to the Lord, the Lord hears that. The Lord, I think it's like precious incense that comes up to him when we're praying and crying out for his presence in that. And so we have the great commission. That's our mandate. Matthew 28, 19 says that we're to go and we're to teach and we're to make disciples. Have that there in your notes. And Jesus kind of summed it up for him later that spoke of Acts 1, 8. He said that you'll receive his power to reach ever outward. And he said in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. He says, I'm giving you power and anointing that you will have not just here, but you can have it wherever you go. So that's what the Lord has for us today. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your heart. We thank you, Lord, that, that when you came, that you didn't just teach about or speak about or refer to your heart, that you demonstrated your heart that you had for us, that you have for the lost, that you have for the hurting and the broken. Oh, Lord Jesus, I just pray that you would give us tender hearts where we have hearts that have become hardened or we have hearts that are scarred. We have hearts that, that, that are angry. Oh, Jesus, give us tender hearts. Give us hearts not of stone but of flesh, the flesh of your presence. Oh, Lord, give us, give us a heart for the nations. Give us a heart for our neighbors and for those around us and for our cities and our state. And, oh, God, for your kingdom. We love you. We bless you. We worship you, Lord God. Amen. Amen. Amen.